Hey, what's happening? Happy Friday, everybody. And welcome back to another episode of The Pinch Point, where we funnel down all of the week's drama, news, information, and crazy things happening out there in the hunting community for you guys. And I got to tell you, it has been a heck of a week for news and drama in this community. So let's start with a hot topic for today. Last week, we talked about the muley freak trespassing poaching incident. So for anybody that didn't listen to that and needs a little bit of background, uh, Muley Freak is a you know pretty well-established brand uh, in kind of that Western hunting community, big social media following. It appears to be, by all accounts, pretty legit business. One of the three guys that I don't know if he was a founder or owner or whatever the case may be, um, was issued a couple of citations in Idaho for allegedly trespassing uh, and then shooting a deer on somebody's property he didn't have permission to be on. Both of those were misdemeanor offenses. Later on, uh, I think it was about a month after the initial citations were issued, one of them was upgraded to a felony based on the size of the animal that he harvested. Uh, And for those that don't know, a lot of states have very specific laws regarding um, the size of an animal and when it meets like a a trophy requirement um, and then the fines increase. So fines increase. And then in this case, it went from a misdemeanor to a felony, which is a pretty serious thing. Um, Comes with a lot of other baggage uh, when you get a felony charge against you like that. So that's part of the reason this has become such a big case is there's a conversation to be had around where should that line be drawn? I think we all would understand and agree that a larger animal holds a larger value, both to the landowners as well as the public in general. Um, So we get it, and I completely understand. Now, is a 150-inch mule deer a giant mule deer? I don't think it is. Is it worth giving somebody a felony conviction for a 150 or a 160? I don't know. I guess it's up for debate. I don't think it is. I think the bar should be a little bit higher. Um, but I'm not. The, I'm not the lawmaker uh, of Idaho in the way that their laws are structured. But in this case, um, so he gets charged with these these citations. Eventually, increases to a felony. You know, this happened a couple months ago. Word is really just getting out in the last few weeks that this has all happened. And of course, everybody online is in a, you know, a big uproar, a big panic. We've all got our panties in a knot that, oh my God, another, you know, celebrity influencer, whatever you want to call them, you know, is is in trouble with the law for being a poacher. Um, I think a lot of people are very quick to jump in and condemn somebody when they don't know the person, they don't know the story. Um, All they've got is, you know, some some vague details, right? We, we literally are basing all of this off of a couple slips of paper that the DNR officer filled out in the field one day. We have no other context besides that. Well, this week, we're starting to get some of that context. So Eric from Muley Freak, uh, who's the guy that got the citations, came out with a series of videos claiming that he had permission to be where he was at uh, and that you know, he didn't do anything wrong and that all of this is a, I believe he said some sort of like misinterpretation by the DNR officer um, that issued these citations. So we will see how this all plays out in court, but his story essentially goes, he had permission. Um, interestingly enough, he has a couple videos from his cell phone of what appears to be him talking to the landowner to make sure he's still good with permission before he goes hunting there. Now the videos, uh, they're not the best. The backstory on the videos is 
you know, he allegedly went to get permission prior to the season starting, make sure he was still good with the landowner before he went out there, brought his kids with him. And if any of you guys out there have kids and you know that you're going to jump out of the vehicle for a little while and you need to keep them entertained while you're out doing something else, like asking for permission on a piece of property, you hand them your cell phone and you say, go Go wild. Watch a YouTube video, play a game, do whatever. My kids personally like to look through all of my photos and my my videos on there to look for funny stuff. So, of course, I have to make sure that the stuff that's on my phone is kids safe at all times. Now, in Eric's case, gives his phone to his his daughter. I, I think it was his daughter. One of his kids. It doesn't really matter. And she's a pl- apparently playing with the camera and taking some videos Now, whether this is a happy coincidence that she just happened to be taking videos while he was doing this, or it was maybe planned that way, I don't, none of us will ever really know. Um, But in any case, he does appear to have some videos that look like he is asking and getting permission to be on this property. Now, I got to tell you, I am amazed at some of the comments on, on these videos and these posts. Like people are just brutal. I don't know whatever happened to just like, um, trying to be optimistic rather than pessimistic, what happened to maybe giving somebody the benefit of the doubt until you know definitively what the story is. But I say in the court of public opinion online, you'd think this guy is just like the worst, you know, wildlife violator in the history of the world. I mean, people are just brutal, um, which is kind of sad to a certain degree. I mean, um, I think maybe a younger version of me, uh, a less understanding version of me when I was, you know, in my 20s may have been one of those people piling on. But I think as you as you get older and you um, start to realize that people are just people and there's always more to a story than than what's out there, especially online, you start to at least for me anyways, I start to want to believe that people are inherently good. I want to believe that he didn't do this and it is a misunderstanding and maybe it was a a, a, a bad cop or DNR officer, whatever the case may be. Obviously, if it comes out and he gets convicted of this in the end, then yeah, maybe he deserves all of that criticism. But until that happens, man, it seems like Give the guy the, the benefit of the doubt here. And I know there's going to be a bunch of people out there saying like, uh, I'm just a douchebag podcast host that's, you know, supporting one of my own in this industry. I don't even know this dude. I never met him. I never talked to him. I don't know shit about him or his company or anything. I just know that he's a person out there that's getting absolutely crucified by people that have really no information on any of this stuff. It, the whole thing just seems insane to me. So I guess we'll see what happens. The other thing that's really weird to me is that he's releasing these videos or his rebuttals kind of in, in small chunks. Like here's part one, here's part two. Uh, Maybe today's part three. I don't know. Um, just seems like if it were me, I would put it all out there at once for everybody to look at rather than, uh, having speculation. Uh, I would give everything I had. The other thing, the other uh, a big question, and I've seen some people comment on this, is like, should you be doing this since litigation is still pending? Like, you got to go through court and lawyers and everything else. Like, should you even be talking at all other than saying, I didn't do it and all the facts are going to come out in court, putting out a bunch of videos online? Like, uh, I don't know if that's smart or not smart. Um, I would assume anyways that he talked to his lawyer about it and they gave him the okay. But Anyways, that's the big uh, Muley Freak drama for this week. I guess we'll see how it plays out here over the next couple of weeks. I think for the the for the benefit of all involved, and that includes everybody in the hunting industry, everybody that has any sort of you know 
uh, social media following or is considered an influencer or partners with other hunting companies or makes any sort of living from this industry, I think for everybody involved, we should be hoping that this did not happen because this is a black eye for the whole industry, um, you know, in the event that something like this does happen. And unfortunately, it does. Right. I mean, time and time again, we see people doing things, getting caught, um, you know, doing stuff illegally. And it is really a, a black eye for all of us. It gives everybody a bad name and makes all of our jobs harder because people are then suspicious of all of us. They think we're all out doing bad things. Hell, I can't even kill a deer anywhere. So there's no way I'm trespassing anywhere uh, as evidenced by the fact that I have not shot a buck in the last two years. So anyways, let's move on to hot topic number two for this week. Another hot one that is being vigorously debated online, including by some of my own team members. So the state of Kansas has banned the use of trail cameras on public land. That includes not just state-owned public land, but all of the walk-in hunt area or weeha ground, of which Kansas has quite a bit. That's mostly what I hunted when I went out to Kansas with my buddy Matt Miller a couple of years ago. So no more trail cameras. And that doesn't mean just cell cameras. That means all, all trail cameras banned from public land in Kansas. And I know there are some people that are super, super upset about this. Uh, I got to admit, I'm not one of them. To be completely frank, um, I don't mind the idea of banning trail cameras on public land. You know, if somehow you could police everybody to not be a douchebag with the way that they use their cameras out there, I would be okay with using them. But the problem is people abuse it. Um, and when people start abusing something like this, that's when it gets taken away, right? It's This is what happens when you got guys that are going out littering trail cameras all over the place, putting cell cameras out there. Then they throw battery boxes and cell panels on them, and they never have to go out there and check them uh, ever. Um, you know, I, I just don't know that that's entirely fair to everybody else that's hunting that place. And I know what you see. Yeah, you could say, okay, well, nobody's stopping you from putting a camera out there. Who wants to be walking around public ground and see just cameras all over the place? Like, it's bad enough as it is right now. Um, so I, I get it. You know, if there was some way, again, to enforce it and say you're only allowed to have a certain number of them or they have to be tagged and labeled. Like, I, I don't I don't know what the legislation would be, but I do know that it would be impossible to enforce. There's not enough game wardens out there to go around and patrol every inch of public ground and make sure people are, are adhering to these laws. Um, so ultimately, the only real, you know, feasible decision, rational decision that they had in Kansas was to ban them. Interestingly enough, it was voted, I think, seven to zero um, to in favor of the ban. So not a single person was like against the ban. They were all like, yes, 100%, we are we are doing this. And we're seeing this more and more frequently. We're seeing some Western states that have completely banned trail cameras altogether. We're seeing ones that are banning cell cameras. So there's a lot of different flavors of kind of legislation uh, about this. I think the idea of banning trail cameras or cellular cameras on private land is completely ludicrous. I think what somebody does on their private property um, should 100% be there within their right to do. I don't, I don't, agree with that at all. I think there's a ton of great uses for trail cameras. Um, 
not just for hunting purposes, for security purposes, for other wildlife studies, just for just pure enjoyment. My kids like looking through the pictures. Um, I don't know. I just, I see nothing wrong with trail cameras. I run a lot of cameras. I run a lot of cell cameras. Um, I don't believe I've ever run a trail camera on public land. And I've been out of state hunting uh, public land. I've hunted Wisconsin public land, Kentucky, Iowa, Kansas, uh, Illinois. I've never run trail cameras on any of them. And I'll, I will admit, sometimes it's just refreshing. Sometimes it is refreshing to go out there and have that uh, mystery. What's there? right? You got to get boots on the ground. You got to do it the old way, the hard way. You know, people are bitching online all the time that we're making hunting too easy. Everybody should love this decision. You know, I know a couple guys that go out to Kansas every year. And one of the first things that they do when they get there is they throw out a bunch of cell cameras and start getting data, you know, to try to figure out where there may be a deer for them to want to go hunt. And I get that. And for them, it's an advantage. Time is limited. They're traveling from across the country to get there. They've got a week or whatever to hunt. And I get it that for them, it's an advantage, but it is what it is. This is now the law. And I have a feeling this is not the last state that we're going to see start enacting programs like this. I think you're going to see the dominoes start to fall over the next couple of years. Uh, we're going to see the tide shift in terms of trail cameras, specifically on public ground. So I'd love to know what your guys' thoughts on this are. Uh, so make sure you post all of your comments. I'd love to read them all. Just uh, don't, don't rip on me too bad, please. I'm sensitive. So another update on a topic that we talked about last week was the the possibility, the hopeful possibility, I should say, that maybe the ATA show and the SHOT show would somehow merge together or archery would become a bigger part of the SHOT show um, for a variety of different reasons. Well, it doesn't appear that that is going to happen. Um, as soon as word started getting out that there was going to be this archery pavilion at the SHOT show last year, uh, everybody was like, oh my gosh, you know, is ATA going away? Um, well, that's not happening. So they, uh, they being uh, a reporter from the Outdoor Wire, interviewed or got a statement from Chris Dolnak, who's the NSSF Senior Vice President slash Chief Customer Officer. Um, so he's basically the guy in charge of the SHOT Show. His response to the question, is the NSSF going after the ATA show, uh, was a very direct answer. He said, and I quote, we don't need, want, or have room for their exhibitors. So that looks like it's a big no in terms of ATA maybe joining forces with SHOT or getting absorbed in or something along those lines. I will admit I'm a little bit bummed about that. I would much rather be going to Las Vegas next year than going to St. Louis. Uh, once again, sorry, not sorry. Just not a big St. Louis fan. I don't like the Cardinals. Sorry, not sorry. Once again, as a Cubs fan, I apologize to all. No, I don't apologize to Cardinals fans. I don't like Cardinals fans. I don't like you guys. I don't like your team. I don't want to go to your city, but I will be there next year. So please don't beat me up when you see me. It's nothing against St. Louis personally. I've been there plenty of times. I would just rather go to Vegas. Well, speaking of legislation, not just with trail cameras, we have some other stuff happening out there in the world that, again, I think is interesting and I think everybody should know about. So we've got Airbos, which is, I don't know who coined the term Airbo. Do you think that the, like the company that makes these things. We're like, we're going to call this an airbow instead of an arrow rifle. 
because that's really what it is. It's just a rifle that shoots arrows. It has nothing to do with a bow. Like we've always debated our crossbows, bows, you know, yeah, they have strings, they have limbs, they shoot arrows. Yes, I understand they have a trigger and a stock. So they have pieces of a firearm or a gun, but they're very much more bow-esque than an air bow. An air bow literally is just a gun that shoots arrows. There are no strings, there are no cams, there are nothing that even remotely resembles a bow. Why the hell they're called air bows is beyond me. But in any case, we have two pieces of legislation that are starting to move forward. We have one in the state of Iowa where they're trying to get air bows involved into gun season. I can kind of see that one. Okay. They're pretty much just a gun that shoots an arrow. I can see that. The question is, is that opening the door then? Because that's everybody's fear. Once they get into gun season, then they're eventually going to get into archery season. And that's when we're going to have problems. So the folks in Iowa are generally seemingly, from what I've read and seen, kind of against this. The next one is going to be Oklahoma, where they're trying to get air bows into archery season, which I don't understand at all. And what I really don't understand, maybe somebody could help fill me in on this, is how, let me rephrase that, who is the person or persons or organization that sits down and says, you know what would make archery season better in Oklahoma? Airbows. That's what we need. That's the missing component to the success of our archery season. Let's allow these things in there. And they go to a state legislator and they pitch their case to this person. This person apparently says, yeah, you know what? You're, you're right. This is what we need in our season. That person then brings it to whatever board, committee, they start voting on it and things start moving along. I'm interested in that process. How does that happen? I think we've always heard about lobbyists and lobbying groups. And I did some research into the Iowa thing and there's definitely some lobbying groups uh, that are paid by the companies that make the airbows. They are paying them to do this lobbying. I understand. They make the bows. They want to sell more of them in this particular state. And in order for that to happen, they need to uh, change the laws. Okay. It makes perfect sense. But, but, the big but, when they go to the legislator, the guy or gal who is elected by their constituents, and they make their case to this person, what part of this person like says, you know what, lobbyist, you know what, guy or gal who's getting paid to tell me this by a company? You're 100% correct. This is what we need in our state. Airbows. I don't understand the whole process, who these people are, why they think this is a great idea. Um, again, I get it on the gun side of things. It's really just a lesser version of a gun, a less effective version of a gun. So maybe if you wanted to allow it into a gun season, I get. Putting them into bow seasons, come on, we got to draw the line somewhere. We can debate all day long whether crossbows should be allowed in archery season. And that's a debate I don't think uh, anybody will ever like truly definitively win. Is a crossbow bow? Is it not a bow? Blah, blah, blah. I'm a huge crossbow supporter. Personally, I love them. I think they get more people involved in hunting, which I think we need. Some people disagree with me. Um, I've shot animals with crossbows. My kids have shot stuff with crossbows. I see no nothing wrong with them. But I've always been on record as saying... I see nothing wrong with them being included in archery season until there's a reason to start looking at the numbers, right? So if we see harvest numbers start to get out of whack, success ratios are getting out of whack, 
uh, license sales are getting out of whack. Like if the introduction of crossbows into archery season begins to cause issues within a state that is affecting their ability to effectively manage their populations, then maybe we need to take a step back and look at, do we need to shorten or make a special crossbow only season, whatever the case may be. But until that happens, I'm the kind of guy that doesn't like to worry about like, what if, what if, what if, what if this, what if I get hit by a meteor when I leave my office today? Like, I'm not worried about that. Sure, it could happen. Somebody could be waiting outside of my office today when I leave that's a Cardinals fan, and they could beat me up when I leave here. I'm not going to worry about it because the chances are pretty slim. So that's kind of how I've always felt about crossbow legislation. The airbow thing, again, I just don't get it. What, what is the advantage? And again, when the lobbyist sits down with the, with the legislator and says, you know, Mr. Senator, I represent the airbow, <laughs> the airbow lobby, which I, I don't know how many of them are out there, but I just imagine this is how the conversation goes. I represent the airbow corporations of the world. And we really feel like we've got a great weapon here in your state, Mr legislator should consider opening up to our weapons and the guy or gal on the other end is like, you know what? You're right. Let's go play some golf. And then that's what they go do in my mind. That's kind of how it works. But anyways, that's what's happening in the world of legislation. All right. Now we're moving into the section of the show where I just talk about crazy stuff that's happening out there that has a little bit to do with hunting or archery but not a whole lot. The first story we have um, came from Fox News of a Minnesota man who beat another guy to death with a moose antler, of all things. So, you know, I guess you could use just about anything as a deadly weapon. Why he selected a moose antler, I'm not really sure. Maybe he just had one laying around, but story goes that there was a, a a 77-year-old man who was convicted of molesting a girl in 1979, so over 40 years ago, living in this town. Um, this fella, the younger fella, uh, apparently thought that this guy was stalking, I guess, his daughter and decided to do something about it preemptively. So he went to his home, grabbed a moose antler, and beat the guy to death with it. So terrible, tragic, horrible story. Um, I don't like hearing about anybody getting beaten to death with anything. Unless like he discovered the guy doing something that he shouldn't have done. In this particular case, it was like, I thought he was going to do something. So I just killed him. Uh, probably doesn't look really good for the guy that killed the other guy. Like, I'm not sure that one's going to hold up in court. Like, hey, man, and like, I just thought he was a bad person. So I killed him. Generally speaking, those don't end well for anybody. So terrible and tragic story out of Minnesota, but I know it was making headlines this week. A lot of people were passing that story around. Um, I just wanted to make sure that we talked about there's another crazy story now that comes out of Ohio. This is, again, this doesn't really have anything to do with hunting. I just thought it was a crazy, crazy story. Somebody in Ohio uh, had zebras in a pen, a multitude of zebras. I don't know why they had them, if they are for hunting purposes, if they're running some sort of like zoo. If you've ever been to those like local, like regional little weird zoos where people have exotic animals. I was surprised they had a zebra in Ohio, to be honest with you. I don't know much about zebras, not a zebra expert, but I thought that they lived in warmer climates. I don't know how cold it gets in Africa, like where they come from, but I just assumed Ohio was too cold to have zebras. Apparently it's not. Guy had some zebras in a pen. He was in there doing something, I don't know, feeding him, whatever. The zebra bit the guy's arm off. And who would have ever thought in a million years, that's a, that's a phrase 
than anybody would ever have to say on a podcast or otherwise. A man had his arm bitten off by a zebra, which is impressive. That is some serious strength to, to bite somebody's arm off. So guy gets his arm bitten off. They obviously call the, the paramedics and the police. Cops come out. The zebra is still acting pretty aggressive. There's some body cam footage uh, of the cops that showed up, and they did end up, ended up shooting the zebra as it looked like it was aggressively approaching one of the cops. Looks like he shot it right in the face with a shotgun. Unfortunately, they didn't show that part. The best part of the video they cut out. So yeah, man got his arm bit off by a zebra. Again, it has nothing to do with hunting. I just thought it was an insane story. I don't know if it was a high fence, like hunting preserve. We could just pretend that it was, even though I have no idea and say that it fits within our show structure, but just another crazy story. And then today I'm going to leave you guys with something on a positive note. One of my goals for this show is not just to talk about the mean, terrible, horrible things happening on the internet, because that's not good for any of us. It's not good for our soul or our mental well-being. So I'm going to leave you guys with a video. So our friends over at Heartland Bowhunter have been around for a long, long time. And it's kind of cool to, to watch their journey and to have known Mike and Sean, you know, we're about the same age. So we started doing this right around the same time. I think they're on their 15th season now. We're in like our 13th season of Bowhunter Die or maybe our 14th now. So we've been doing this for a very similar amount of time. We're about the same age. We've kind of been on that same life trajectory of like getting married and having kids an hour to that age where our kids are starting to hunt. And they recently did a video. You guys can find it on YouTube. It's called Passing on the Tradition. Um, this is a video of Mike and his son and his son's first deer. And it's just like all things Heartland Bowhunter, it's really well done from a storytelling and a cinematography perspective. Um, and I would encourage all of you guys to go watch it. And if you don't watch all of Heartland Bowhunter stuff, you should. It's available in a multitude of different places. In my opinion, they're still kicking out some of the best quality bow hunting content out there. I wish I had the storytelling and filming abilities that those guys have over there. But this is just a really, uh, I guess, heartwarming uh, video. It's only like eight minutes long. It's not super long. Uh, so if you could spare a few minutes, I would encourage you all go to YouTube, check that video out. Even if you don't have kids, maybe someday you guys will have kids. Uh, and this will be you because it's it's a cool story. Again, just really well done. So go to the Heartland Bowhunter YouTube channel, look up Passing on the Tradition. Uh, make sure you subscribe to their channel while, while you're there. Don't just subscribe to ours. You got to subscribe to everybody out there that's making good bow hunting content, whether it's us, Heartland Bowhunter, the Lakoskis are doing a great job, you know, THP, Seek One, all, you know, in, in down the line, the Catman. Everyone should go subscribe to Catman as well. I love that dude. So anyways, uh, that's all I have got for today. I appreciate you guys watching and listening to The Pinch Point. Make sure you share this with your friends. Subscribe to the channel. Check us out. Spotify, Apple Podcasts, all the usual places. And we will be back right here next week uh, with another episode. Hopefully we got some updates for you. We'll see you then.